All of her is dead. Cover all of dead, it. Dead, dead, dead. Dead, 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 Hey, maniacs. Hey, maniacs. I try to switch it up, see? Yeah, I see that you've been switching it up lately. I'm coming up with different ways to say, hey, maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs <laughs> is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into the <laughs> Are you episode. doing it now? <laughs> we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies. Oh, boy, there's the loonies in this episode and everything else we love. I am Mark. You are? Yes. Well, I'm Sarah, I guess, then. Warning. If you don't let your kids uh, have sex with each other and don't drive into a pool, they should be safe to watch this and listen to this episode. We might want to be more specific than that, because I would guess most parents don't let their kids do those two things. Apparently, in Midsummer Parva... Parents are the worst okay. ever. Midsummer is different. Yes. <laughs> the rules are different there. Not the rules, but the things that happen that wind up happening are different. Generally, if you let your kids watch the show, they should be able to listen to the podcast. Yes. We don't say birdie dirds or anything. We try not to. Yeah. Yeah. Just so you know, uh, we have a couple of mini episodes out uh, right now. Mini episode 10 and 11, which are for the Wolf Hunter of Little Worthy and the Stitcher Society in that order, uh, which are the two new episodes. The two most recently released episodes on Acorn, which, by the way, we've got a little promotion going on with Acorn right now. So if you don't have Acorn and you want to try it, you can use our code to get three, 30 free days of Acorn. Midsummer So you can 30. check it out. Yep. Give it a try if you Thank want you, to. Thank you, Acorn, for being appreciative to us for that. Yeah. It, they gave us some behind-the-scenes photos. That was yep. fun. But other than that, I, I say we need to dive into dark secrets. Well, before that, just a little hint of things to come. We got some special guests. Lined yeah, up. but that's all we can say is we've got special guests, but we can't say who they are yet. We are stunned that these people are coming on the show. Okay, you say that. They're going to think that we've got Neil Dudgeon. It's not Neil Dudgeon. No. It's not anybody on the show. No. But I'm excited about I'm it. I'm excited. But until it's confirmed, I don't think it's nice. See, yeah. this is the kind of stuff I hate when I'm... Like somebody says, ooh, I got you a present. It's really good, but I'm not going to tell you and I'm not going to give it to you yet. I'm like, shut up then. What you, what you don't <laughs> understand is Sarah's birthday and Mother's Day are very close to each other. <laughs> and sometimes they can fall on the same day. So she's thinking about birthday presents and Mother's Day presents. Right now, I yeah, I've got three kids in the house going, I got you a present, but you can't have it. I'm like, then don't tell me. <laughs> don't taunt me about it well we're gonna have guest stars but we won't tell you <laughs> sorry i like to build i like to build tension suspense this episode filmed in august and september 2010 broadcast the 30th of march 2011 3.2 million viewers directed by simon langton and written by michael Aikens. Season 14, episode two, Dark Secrets. The second John Barnaby episode and the first Sarah Barnaby episode. Yes. And one more episode where John Barnaby gets up George's nose and yes. vice versa. The, it, it's weird because the episode Oblong Box is coming up and that's where George retires. Mm -hmm. But 
he has a very good relationship with John Barnaby in that episode. Yeah. So they're kind of creating this tension, but then it all dissipates. That's what they did. When in, the crazy in the, cult shows up. That's what they did in the first episode, too, right? Yeah. With With Jones and, and John kind yeah. of like... Oh, thank you, Sarah. You know, and by this episode, they're they're pretty cool with each other. Yeah, this is in Midsummer Parva, which may be other than Badger's Drift. It's the, the second looniest <laughs> place in cost in Midsummer. Electric Vendetta, the crazy house, the electrified house, electrified house, uh, murder on St. Mally's Day, murder at school, straw woman. Let's put the teacher in the big straw woman and burn her. Well, they didn't do that, but they burned a lot of people. Shot at dawn, crazy. People with French bread, secrets and spies, <laughs> Doctor Who's a spy, and the Sword of Guillaume all take place in Midsummer Parma. Yeah, Parma. It's, it's a busy not place. Not the best place to live, and those are pretty diverse loonies too. Like Badger's Drift, it's, it's always the vicar. Badger's Drift, it's pretty kind of consistent kinds of loony, but we've got spies and soldiers and horse breeders, and I mean, yeah. it's just it's a. Yeah. How big is this village actually? I don't know, but it's diverse in its lunacy. Yes. They they switch it up. So this episode is kind of plot-wise a little bit like um the musical one, the piano one. It's it's got a pretty straightforward plot, right? So we've got a couple groups of people. So let's just go over the plot real quick so then we can dive into the good stuff, yes. right? So we've got a couple groups of people. We've got William and Mary Bingham, they're the older folks who live in the big house yep. and are reclusive. Yes. Kind of agoraphobic a bit. Yes. Then their daughter, Selena, and her husband, Eddie, live in like the manor house or something or the, the lodge and on we, the property and, and they breed horses. And we see at the beginning of the episode in a flashback that there were two other siblings, yes. Jennifer and Robin, who were Selena's older siblings who died in a car crash into We don't water. know why they left. Right. They were kicked out of the house and then they crashed their car. By the way, it's incest. Sorry. Yeah, I know. Again. <laughs> I'm so done with that. There's no incest in the next episode. <laughs> Good. Can we have a couple of incest-free episodes, please? I'd like that. It's, You know, it's too easy. It That's is. That's one of the reasons why I don't like it. It's it too easy. It is a little too easy. So it's, The cringe factor is unnecessarily high on it. Then we've got Maggie and Adam, who run this artist collective... Maggie is actually Jennifer, the girl who supposedly died in the car, but didn't. She yes. just reinvented herself, right? Yes. And then we've got Maggie's son, Ben, who is in- dating Verity, who is the stepdaughter of Selena. Who, Ben, is also Selena's reluctant lover? Yeah, she's the worst employer ever. You work for me, you do what I want, and you'll get along, so which means have sex with me when my husband's there's away. There's some crossing the line there. Yeah. And the idea the, is that this a is bureaucrat a big, shows up. Right, from social and services. problems here. Yeah, because he's looking into, you know, who is who and wanting some record keeping for social services. And in doing that, uncovers the fact that Maggie is actually Jennifer. And nobody wants that secret. Nobody wants that secret out. But also nobody wants the secret out that the siblings, Robin and Jennifer, had a baby together who is Ben. And so, so this William, is what who is William, also, yeah, he's he's already kind of tottering on the edge of senility. Pushes he, them over the edge. It's the yeah. inciting incident. Yeah, he thinks he's got to kill a couple people to keep it secret. So he takes care of the social services agent, Jerry. Who also canoes. 
He's the witch finder general, apparently. But then also takes care of Mary, his wife, because she's going to tell Barnaby all. That's the plot. There you go. That's it. There's a subplot involving a new character, which is Sarah Barnaby. Right. And her starting at school, and they cross over on Josie Parker, who sounds like an Archie's character. She's Nosy Parker. Yes. She works at the school, but also does the... The secret books of Eddie's Dan. Yeah. And is the center of all gossip because her Aunt Louise knew everything. As well as Jones's grand. Who lives in Midsummer. Yeah. We didn't so know we, that. We before. have some problem with Jones's moving. Yeah. So. so that's the plot. Yeah. It's kind of the least interesting part of the episode because the characters are so good. Yes. And, and kooky. And I would say that, like, last episode was Samantha Bond and David Warner. Samantha Bond and David Warner did Samantha Bond and David Warner things. Mm -hmm. That's what they did. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But the acting here, especially, I would say, Selena, Josie Parker, and William Bingham, the acting is very good amongst them. Yeah. So let's, let's start with William and Mary Bingham, the oldies who live in the house and are sort of hoarders. Would you say they're hoarders? Well, I did some research into hoarding, which is a whole rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. So they get the same grocery order every week. It comes in a box, and their whole house is sort of piles of those things sorted and stacked. So we've got big, towering piles of newspaper, which I find completely impressive. I don't know how... The prop masters did that. I can only imagine that they're like foam core with yeah, newspapers this is, on them. This is but a, they are really good. This is a maniac's type of question. How did you stage the house for the hoarder episode? Yes. <laughs> and then you've got like all of the pizza boxes are stacked and all of the water bottles are together and all of the boxes that the groceries come in are together. I don't know why they don't eat the pizzas. Now, so along with that, I will send, I'll put a, there's a YouTube channel I like. I'll put it in the notes where the guy goes through how they make a lot of props mm-hmm. in uh, shows that are surprising to you, like paper bags that make no noise. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Things you would never think of, but they so, make them. So the whole prop building thing is there. Then you have the whole. Well, and before you have we. The story aspect of it. Before we go too much into the the characters, the the house, Bingham Hall, is what it's called in the episode. Yeah. Um, I thought, ah, that's a national heritage site because you see exit signs above the interior doors in the house that you would need for health and safety if you were a public site. I know we have a lot of people in the house, but we don't have exit signs. No, we don't need exit signs. It is. It's called Maple Durham House. Okay. Um, and you can rent it for weddings and whatever. They have tours yeah. um, when they can due to COVID. But the most interesting thing about Maple Durham House is that they get umpteen number of noise complaints from the surrounding area because they run helicopter sightseeing tours. Okay. They used to do 20 flights a day. Wow. They cut it down to 10 because of the complaints. Wow. One of the neighbors said it sounded like being in Vietnam. 
Like you would know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that guy did know what it was Maybe like to be in Vietnam. But that's the house that they used yeah. to film it. And as far as I could tell, and if anybody knows different, let us know. It looks like they used the, the interior of that house, yeah, too. I think so. Just a few rooms. Yeah. Um, it's it's really a limited they set. Do, they do. They use the, the magic of the video to make it look more claustrophobic than it is. And... I think we're supposed to have the impression that though they live in this great big house, they only use a few rooms, yes. which is kind of typical of yep. people who own big homes like that because you just can't. Well, and it's typical of hoarding behavior too. Yes. They kind so. of close themselves in yep. into, into certain spaces. Yeah. So I did a bunch of research on hoarding and all I want to say is I think these are, they, this shows an actual, like I think they are, are hoarders because usually it's older people and there's usually a traumatic incident that causes this behavior to manifest Mm -hmm. and usually an emotional incident and the the flashback at the beginning is a traumatic emotional incident yeah william kicks two of their children out of the house says never come back and they're dead within two minutes that you've got to feel responsible for that yeah essentially it happens in older people it is not ocd They've found out that it's a completely different thing here. Uh, It is genetic, though. The propensity for it? It is a a genetic propensity. And uh, most of the studies find that probably between 1.5 and 2% of all people have this issue. Wow. Then I went into the whole Collier story. Uh, Collier's brothers are two guys in the 40s in New York, who basically took over this brownstone and filled it, filled it with stuff and traps and also, and that that's a weird story to the point where originally it wasn't called hoarding. It was called Collier's mansion syndrome. Wow. So, so now they put booby traps in their hoarder house. Yes. One of, one of the brothers uh, was killed by his own booby trap. Wow. So they were paranoid, too, I would they were, guess. They were very paranoid, and they did all sorts of weird, eccentric things. The entire first floor was full of stuff. You couldn't go in the first floor. Wow. So they had to climb out the windows and down drain pipes to get out to get food and things So like. they were, like, filling the house up from the bottom up. Yes, including a car. There was a car in the house. Whoa. Yeah, absolutely strange, weird. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 25,000 books were found in that building. Wow. See, I don't know if I would classify William and Mary as hoarders simply because we don't know about their willingness to give up their stuff. It could just be that they're more agoraphobic. Yeah. That's, and so they just don't get rid of anything because that would mean going out. That That's the big thing is you have a complex relationship between object, emotion, and decision. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is you acquire and you don't remove. Yeah. But we don't know if William and Mary yeah. have that attachment to their things. And and the fact that it's a neat and tidy kind of sorting doesn't mean that they're not hoarders. It could, they could still be hoarders and do that. But they're also unwilling to go outside. So yeah. it could just be that they just live with these piles of things because that's preferable to having to interact with people. But they do also have the, the trait of... Oh, nothing's wrong here. Right. They don't see the the stacks and stuff as abnormal. And when he puts the newspaper on top of the other newspapers, he smooths it out with his hand. Yeah. I would say akin to 
Troy with his comic book, mm. which to me was a very good acting choice to show that there was some emotional attachment there. And he's already got the ladder ready to put it up there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, well, I guess I'll add this one to the other one. So the only thing, <laughs> other thing I wanted to say about hoarding is that if you're a victim of this, either yourself or somebody you love, you're not alone. Please yeah. get some help yeah. because there are lots of people who can help you and you're not alone. But in this case, it, it's midsummer hoarding. So, of course, it's a little different than reality. It's kind of funny. <laughs> they do not They do a good job of not making... They are creatures of habit. They, That's what we see. They do a good job of not making it a joke. No, it's not a joke. Yeah. And the fact that Mary is killed by a stack of newspapers... Yeah. Is it only happens because her husband pushes it over on top of her. It's yeah. not because she's a victim of her own behavior. Okay, so I have a question here. So is that the end of the not fun stuff? Yes. Okay, good. Phew. Okay, I have a question. Hmm. Is Jerry Dawkins really that bad? So Jerry is the Witchfinder General of Social Services, and yes, he is that bad. <laughs> All he's asking is to put this people's information in a database. They don't want to be in it. But he's trying to help them. <laughs> because he actually wants to help them or because he wants to enforce the system upon them? Is it okay that it's both? I think in the case of William and Mary, who I keep thinking are royalty every time I say William and Mary. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's an accident. No. I think in the case of, of the older Binghams, it's important. It's a welfare check. Are they alive in there? Are they okay? Yeah. And we're no, we're not going to take their snobby daughter's word for it. We're going to see that they're actually alive. In that instance, I think Jerry's okay. Just about everything else he does is a jerk. The artist colony, he, they're lucky they didn't tar and feather him. Yeah. Yeah. He gets what he deserves there. Because he's like, well, no. I have come with all this paperwork and you will all fill it out. And he's very condescending. and He is, but he doesn't deserve assault. And certainly not to be have a gun pointed at him. Yeah, but it's midsummer. <laughs> this, the thing I hold against him most, though, is when he calls Barnaby and he's like, I've got dirt that I need to tell you that is completely unrelated to anything that Barnaby needs to know. He's doing that because he wants to get people in trouble because they pissed him off. When he first goes to the police station, did you notice the background people? No. Okay. There's a guy. (laughs) So Jerry's there and he's still wet. Yeah. So there's the blonde haired girl who works at the front desk. Okay. We see her outside later. Oh, she gets to leave. Wow. But. A plain clothes policeman walks past Jerry, talks to another dude, goes in, sits down, makes a phone call, then comes back out, shuts the door just as Jerry's leaving. (laughs) But what they do, I I really like this because it's a good direction. Because when he shut that door, it made Jerry forced out. Yeah. Right? So I, I thought it was very good that background action made it look like a real place mm-hmm. plus it kind of hurries him a lot yeah i don't think we need we, to decide whether jerry's good or not we watch a lot these shows a lot closer <laughs> <laughs> 
Once you've seen it a few times, you can look at the background in a scene because you know what's going to happen, well, I don't right? Know. And there's maybe, all kinds of interesting shit back there. Maybe John <laughs> Barnaby's a bit of a hoarder, too, because he hasn't unpacked in 10 no, weeks. No, he's lazy. Oh, my God. 10 <laughs> weeks. 10 weeks. Really? I don't know what's worse. Okay. So this is this is a subplot. That Barnaby's been there for 10 weeks, and he hasn't unpacked a thing. He expects his wife to move it and then to do it. And then the snide comment of, well, you would have changed everything anyway. Like, dude. You know what that is? That's, I didn't do the dishes because you don't like how I do it. Yeah. So I don't have to do it anymore. He's smarter. And, and, I'm, doing, and, more, and, and I'm doing you a favor more, by not doing it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like that. But then. <laughs> so what's worse, that or the fact that Sarah goes to work has a lunch retreat, quote unquote, at her home and makes her employees, the teachers, unpack her house. First of all, no way they would do that. They would be like, no. Well, first of all, I like the people I work with. I'm not a boss or anything, but I don't want them touching my stuff. I I am a boss and I would never ask my people to do that. Even if they offered, I would say no. Well, I have been a boss and I would never like... Like, maybe come help me move this big couch. I'd appreciate it. Asking but not... any person who ever worked for me to <laughs> do something with me at home was always strange to me. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> but I don't think it reflects well on John that he hasn't unpacked anything. And he's not even like, okay, I've unpacked the necessities and I've left the decorative decisions to you so that you can tell me where you would prefer it because I don't care where they go, but I know you will. But there's boxes everywhere. He's chucking and jiving between stacks of boxes every day for 10 weeks. Yeah. I, <laughs> I could, at least in 10 weeks, someone would have been like, this box is clearly labeled living room. I'll put it in, in the, the living room. And yeah. not in the center of the living yes. room. Yes. <laughs> Well, he's just been so busy. You know, people are dropping dead all the time in midsummer. He just doesn't have time. Paperwork. He doesn't even have time to do laundry. He just buys a new shirt. <laughs> have we vented about John now? Because <laughs> in general, I really like him. But this case, and I like their relationship too. Sarah and John they are do. really good together. I they really do. like that the, yeah. the way they've written them as a couple. Yeah. They're nearly as good as Tom and Joyce. But come on, unpack some stuff. Please. And I like the story that she's moving from a bigger school to a smaller school and she's the head now. Yes. Like that's that's a real world situation and and has interesting things and complexities to it. Well, and she gets to be super competent and smart. I have a and suggestion. have her own domain. Well, speaking of domains, the first thing I would suggest that she does is get a website going for that domain that's on her school sign because there ain't no domain there right now. <laughs> you mean you didn't buy it? <laughs> I thought about it. There's a limit to how many domains related to Midsummer that you can purchase. Okay. Midsummertravel.uk.co. It's okay. .co.uk. So we've talked about the Binghams, right? Mary yeah. and William anyway, and their yeah. home. Yeah. Now let's talk about selena and eddie right so selena is their youngest daughter the yes. only survivor supposedly of the car accident and she's married to eddie who i can only describe as a little fishy businessman 
Well, first of all, he's involved with European politics. So at this point in time in England, he's suspect. So he's running for MP, but not of the... It's kind of MP at large for the EU, is that right? No, no, it's European MP for that area. So he wants to be the EU parliament representative for that area? Yes. Okay, yeah. Which... (laughs) He needs a little better signs. Oh my gosh. His flyers look like they were made in word. Yes. (laughs) I expect him to be classier than that. He's definitely supposed to be somebody who maybe came from a rougher background and has polished himself up via being entrepreneurial. And the only thing that he does wrong is he's a bit quick to make decisions on somebody. Well, and he's not not very nice to his wife, but she's... Horrible. The least nice person ever. So, yeah. <laughs> so she they kind of deserve each other. <laughs> but but I do want to say that Eddie does one good thing at the end when they have the bomb in the house. By the way, there's a bomb in the house. Yes. <laughs> he gets people back. Yeah. So many shows are like, there's a bomb in the house, and people are like, oh. Can I go look at it? They, Can I touch it? Can they, I lick it? What? No, actually, get away. <laughs> he actually moves them back. I also like when John rounds up all the suspects in the barn and is unpacking everything for everybody. There's a little Poirot moment there. There is a Poirot moment. I've brought you all here today because um, there's a moment where uh, Selena tries to stop John from talking and Eddie's like, no, no, keep digging, Barnaby, because he wants to know all the dirt. Yeah. Right? Because his intention is to inherit all of this when William and Mary die. Well, he knows that the the old folks are going to die someday. And yeah. That's, that's a billion dollar home yeah. that they're in. And, and there's trusts all yeah. over the place, yeah. right? So these people haven't worked for tens of years. They've never yeah. made their own money. So yeah. there's got to be a lot of cash there. Yeah. And uh, if that means that he's got something to hold over Selena a little bit to pressure her to stay with him and uh, give him some of the, the moolah, then he wants to know all about it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Selena is nasty. <laughs> she is she is the prototypical midsummer, young middle-aged, ambitious, sexually active female vixen character. Social light kind of, yeah. you know. She knows she's beautiful and she uses it to her advantage for sure. Yep. But then Blames it all on the fact that, you know, her siblings died in this accident and her parents went doolally afterwards. And so she had this horrible upbringing where she just had unlimited money and a giant home and ponies and she was beautiful. Oh, how much she suffered. Whatever. Yeah. She's just grumpy and mean. But she's insanely persuasive, too, because, like, Ben is clearly in love with... Verity. Mm-hmm. And yet, when his future mother-in-law goes, let's go upstairs and have some rumpy bumpy, he's like, no. And she's like, yes. And he's like, okay. Because he will have no job. He'll be unemployed. I understand that. But once he had asked Verity to marry him, I think he would have had, he, he needed to uh, say, this. we can't do this anymore. I think I would have just told Verity. 
I would your, think so. Your evil stepwitch, which is what Verity calls her, yes, is trying to pressure me into have sex with her just so that I can keep my job. Can you do something about that? She'd go tell her dad, and that would be over. Yeah, I think. <laughs> but I just think Ben gives in a little too easily. But then we we you know we can't get the gross factor when we figure out that she's his aunt, right? Yeah. So you got to let that happen. Yep. Because remember, it's midsummer, so incest. <laughs> So Selena and Eddie breed horses, high-end yes. race horses. Yeah. And there's one scene where they're trying to breed. They've, they've brought um, a stud horse in to breed with one of their mares, and it's not working out. The stud is not performing what he should. Right. He's antsy. He's upset. And there's parallels there. Maggie, course. the horse whisperer, yeah. has to come and talk to him and figure out that he's got a toothache and whatever. But they... And and I did not grow up around horses. Yeah. You know, I don't know anything. I've never even ridden a horse. Yes. I think I've touched one a couple of times, like pet pet it maybe, but that's yeah. like it. Um and they but they refer to this breeding process as covering. Yeah. The stallion is supposed to cover the mare. Yeah. And I'd never heard that term before. Clearly we know what it means, right? It means that they're gonna breed, right? So has he mounted the mare or not? But they call it covering. And in, in all of the documentation and help sites and information sites, they say there's two forms of covering, live covering and asynchronous covering. <laughs> what? Live covering is when you actually see them do it, yeah. right? And asynchronous is, is in vitro, yeah. right? Where you, get a, you buy a sperm sample from a well-known stallion and you put it in your mare, right? Yes, and there's there's a whole thing around this. Oh, there's a whole economy about it. (laughs) But, like, cover? What's that? And then there's all these, this other kind of, like, horse jargon around there. Yeah. Some of which I had to look up because, frankly, I just did not know much about horses. So there's a scene where we see in the background the horses are walking in kind of this kind of carousel-shaped thing. It's like a circular pen that has a ring in the middle and then it has dividers and there's a machine, a motor that makes those dividers move. And so it walks the horses around in a circle. Do you know what that's called? No idea. It's called a hot walker. Okay. And it's a way to cool horses down. So after they've been racing or running or exercising really hard, it it slows them down, but keeps them moving. So their muscles don't cramp. Like you do when you, after a run. Right. You, you do a little jog and then you walk and then, you, you know, you kind of slow yourself down gradually. Yeah. It's called a, a hot walker. And you can also have a human hot walker. Oh. Which is a person who walks a horse around until they're cooled off. <laughs> what do you do for a living? I'm a hot walker. I'm a human hot walker. Yeah. <laughs> So I went into this deep, deep rabbit hole, right? Because I didn't know what they were called. So I'm like, you can't, you can't search horse carousel, okay? Because that's something completely different. Yeah. That's an amusement park ride. Yep. But what I found is something that looks an awful lot like an amusement park ride, but for horses. You sent me this thing and I was, I, I literally looked at the pictures at first and went, that's a Photoshop. <laughs> that's a roller coaster for horses is what it is yeah so tell us about this thing so it's called kurt system and it's fairly new and it's specifically for training young racehorses right so these are like yearlings 
and they need to build up muscle. So they have to exercise a lot, right? Just like any athlete, they've got to bulk up and exercise. So this machine, and if you just Google, look on YouTube for horse roller coaster, you will find it immediately. I will put links in the show notes as well. But what it is, is if you can imagine a roller coaster that is top suspended, so the cars hang down instead of sitting on the rail, they hang down from the rail, like a lot of roller coasters do. Yep. But instead of people sitting in the seats, they're dividers that horses stand between, and then the darn thing makes them run by moving along a big track. Never mind that there are seats for humans, too. There are also seats for humans to ride along, and there's like a control box in the back with lots of cameras and monitors and stuff. It's a very fancy horse roller coaster. <laughs> I was, I, I was I absolutely saw it, like, amazed at this thing. Okay, I don't know a lot about horses, but that's weird. I know enough to know that's weird. <laughs> There's it's, no cowboy involved in that thing. It's just, it's it's a way for one man or one person to exercise 20 horses at a time. I think it's 10, but yeah, it's it's a way for them to exercise them, you know, without riding them and in bulk. And they can monitor their health and stuff while they're exercising. But the real problem, of course, like all amusement park rides, is the lines. Yeah, it's a long line to get on that thing. <laughs> man. But then I learned... So much more about horses. I'm going to tell you a couple things about horses. I'm Weird sorry. Weird horse facts. You've got to know this stuff. Much. I know that it's tangential to the to the episode. I yep. know it, but it's too good. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna pose them as trivia questions. Okay. True or false? Male and female horses have different numbers of teeth. False. True. It's oh. true. Male horses have four more teeth than female horses. Okay. Okay. So when you look the gift horse in the mouth, you can also Tell what gender it is. Okay. Which is bigger, a horse's teeth or its brain? Oh, its teeth for sure. They're way bigger than their brains. Yeah, yeah, way bigger. Their teeth take up twice as much space as their brain. The thing about both cows and horses is when you're up close to them, you realize your head top part isn't really that big. You're more muzzle than you're cranium. You're more nose than cranium. Yeah, yeah. Okay. True or... F- oh, no, I'm going to ask this in a different way. How do horses breathe? Well, through their nose and mouth. No. Partially. No. But maybe their skin? No. What? Only through their nose. Only? They cannot breathe through their mouths. No mouth breathers then. If you hold their nose, they'll suffocate. Well, it's good to know if I'm ever attacked by a horse. (laughs) I wonder if it's the same for moose. Yeah. If if you close their nostrils, they will suffocate. Oh. Because their, their throats are a bit complex. They don't have collarbones, right? They yeah. have this big kind of mantle of muscles that supports their neck and their head and their shoulders. Yeah. And they have, they're not able to vomit either. They, a horse cannot throw up. Okay. Um, and it, like, you know, we have one throat that leads down to both our trachea and our esophagus, right? Yeah. There's really only goes to their esophagus. Oh. I didn't know that. Did you know that? No. Because cows are different. Because I thought I understood kind of how a horse works, basically. No. And that's why they have so many tummy troubles. They can't barf. Oh, this is not all. Okay. (laughs) Did you know that in Oklahoma, it's illegal to let a horse or donkey sleep in a bathtub after 7 p.m.? I did not know that. Before 7, it's fine. It's fine. But after 7, no. You got to get them out of the bathtub. You want to guess why they have that law? 
No. <laughs> you can't imagine the no, reason? I can't imagine. So in 1920, 1924, there was a giant flood okay. in Oklahoma. And there was a farmer who had a big tub on his land, like a bathtub that he used for a water trough. And he had a donkey who liked to sit in it. Okay. Right? Then this flood comes, and the donkey goes for a ride. Talk about a roller coaster. The donkey in the bathtub are washed about a mile downstream. That poor donkey in that bathtub are now a torpedo. Yeah, and having an adventure. And it took like 50 people to rescue this donkey from this bathtub. And so after that, they said, no more donkeys or horses in bathtubs after seven. Because it happened in the nighttime. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone in Britain is like... Americans have strange laws. We do. They do too, though. But I got one more for you. Okay. In a town in New Mexico called Raton, that's how I'm going to pronounce it, R-A-T-O-N, New Mexico, it is illegal for a woman to ride horseback down a public street while wearing a kimono. Okay. You can ride wearing a bikini if you want to, but not a kimono. Okay. The law is still in the books. And I could not find out why. So somebody out there who lives in New Mexico, figure it out and let me know. Because I need to know what is the inciting incident that caused this law to be written. Who was the lady in the kimono? Because she must have been awesome. Well, okay. I could make a guess. Okay. New Mexico is where a lot of Japanese internment camps were. Okay. And so... Maybe a, a, a woman from a Japanese internment camp stole a horse and rode downtown in her kimono maybe no they might have all sorts of weird anti-japanese laws on the books that's what i'm thinking it yeah it may be i wouldn't be surprised but i think it's older than that so maybe it had to to do because both chinese and and japanese immigrants were part of the railway building also Mm -hmm. so somebody out there is going to find out and they're going to tell us please please tell us i have a burning pit in my brain now, trying to figure it out. And I really looked. I need to know. Anyway, that's all the wacky stuff you need to know about horses. Sorry. <laughs> you don't need to apologize. That's awesome. I can't believe they can't breathe through their mouths. That's why people come here. It's for wacky stuff. <laughs> it just makes me think, could Mr. Ed actually have spoken? If you can't, if you can't breathe through your mouth, can you talk? I don't mm-hmm. think you can. I don't think you can. I mean, they can whinny. Yeah. But that's different. <laughs> he was an incredible horse. <laughs> you know who can throw up? Who? Selena. Oh, when yeah. When she finds out that her lover slash nephew wants to marry her stepdaughter, she really should have saved that barf for when she found out she was sleeping with her nephew. Yes. Don't you think that's more barf worthy? Yeah. Yeah. She... she so she finds out she vomits that prematurely the, that the <laughs> that the guy that she's sleeping with is going to marry her stepdaughter. Yeah, and that makes her vomit enough. But yeah. then later on, finds out that she, that he is actually her nephew. Yeah, like blood nephew too. Yeah, that should have upset her way more. Well, she's pretty upset. There, she does some. There's some good acting in that barn. There is. It's the good acting barn. <laughs> <laughs> If you say so. (laughs) Ben Jones is on the make with every woman in town. No, he's not. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, he is. 
Yeah, why, what is the inciting factor to everybody thinks Ben should be married, including Ben? I don't get that. Yeah, it's weird. Everybody's like, you got a girlfriend yet? Huh? Huh? I got to think. So Verity knew Jones. They sort of dated. It's important. Right. But what's weirder is old Fuss Budget's assistant. Mm-hmm. Is, that is the weird interaction of the episode. So Jerry, the Witchfinder General of the Social Services, has a secretary named Jane Morris, who is the quintessential red hair, short red-haired woman of Midsummer. They're played all- by Samantha Bond in the last episode. And in this episode, she's played by Laura Rogers, who are always on the make and always predatory. And says that she's not willing to go out with Bill Jones. He says, are you single? She goes... What does it matter? I'm not going to go out with you. And but then, she's flirting with him. Well, she's playing hard to get. Yeah. And then he's like, I don't want to get you. See ya. <laughs> and then we never see her again. It's, it's two pages of like, I think what happened was the screenwriter was like, I have to get this information story wise out to Ben. Yeah. But I don't want her to just do an info dump on him. Right. So how can we make this a little more interesting? And we already have kind of an old kind of spinstery character in Nosy Parker. Yeah. So we can't have Jerry have an, an assistant who's like that. She's got to be young and spunky instead. Yeah. And she's got to be able to print out the world's oldest day calendar and a picture of the moon. The moon. Ooh. So she knows what he printed out. But doesn't know how to just read his information off the screen for the calendar. I don't know. Okay. It's not my biggest problem with Jerry, though. My biggest problem with Jerry is they keep on saying he's a canoeist. He, he has his little boat on top of his car all times. So that boat is a small cockpit boat. I would call it a kayak. Which in the rest of the world is called a kayak. Mm-hmm. Because it's not open end to end like a canoe is, right? That is, it has a larger cockpit. That is the terminology okay. that they use. So it's a small cockpit boat that makes it a kayak? Yes. Okay. In the rest of the world. Okay. But not in England. Why? In England, they're either referred to as a Rob Roy canoe. Why? Or a Canadian canoe. Why? And it has to do... <laughs> Wait a minute, don't you have an uncle named Rob Roy? I, I have a cousin named Rob Roy. Okay, go on. Uh, is because, <laughs> likely, uh, this book by a 19th century guy named John McGregor, who did not meet a piece of water that he didn't want to canoe in and didn't want to write about later. Okay, was he Canadian or British? He was British. Okay. But he not only created the British Canoeing Club... He created the American Canoeing Club also. Okay. And were they canoes or kayaks? He was in a kayak. <laughs> All the time? For the most part, he uh, was in a kayak. For some reason, I thought kayaks were like a very recent thing. Like they were invented in the last 40 years or something. Oh, no. They're they're an Inuit thing. I thought canoes were. No, no. It's a northern Inuit thing as, a, as far as I remember. Oh, okay. Like it is a... When you think about it... Okay, because the the benefit of a kayak is this is a one person vehicle Mm -hmm. that you can right side up by yourself by yourself. If you flip over, you can flip yourself back and And it's enclosed. So it's got to be better when it's colder. Yes. 
So I think that's why it's an Inuit thing. Yeah, that makes sense. So they would whale hunt with them. Yeah. You know, you, and they're probably maneuverable because you're one guy and you yep. can sort of twist your body to move your boat. And you stick the thing in, into the whale. They're yeah. called harpoons. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so he wrote a book called A Thousand Miles in a Rob Roy can- Canoe, which is well regarded as one of the greatest travel books of all time. Yeah, it sounds like it would be. So because he was British and, and his book was so influential from then on, yeah. Brits called every little boat a canoe, every no, no. narrow boat like that? or A canoe is anything from a large cockpit canoe to a kayak to them. Okay. So they're not calling like tugboats canoes. No, no. <laughs> it has to be self-propelled with paddles, I would say. Canal boats aren't... Big canoes. No, no, no. <laughs> Coal canoes. No, but I bet you if you went kayaking in a canal in in England, someone would call it a canoe. So there's this thing that happens when you when you say a word or you see a word over and over and over again called verbal satiation, where the word stops to have meaning to you anymore and becomes something more abstract. And now canoe and kayak are like that in my head. <laughs> like... Canoe, kayak, connect, connect. What they don't get to soon enough for me is the fact that he's not in any sort of canoeing or kayaking gear when they find his body. That's the first thing they should be saying. Okay, but he's hardcore. He keeps his kayak with him at all times. Who knows? He might be willing to go out in his suit. Okay. I've known people who really like to fish and they leave work on their lunch hour and they go fishing. But the kayak that he has... Okay. The the other this is also more down the road that I got to. <laughs> the kayak he has requires what's called a skirt. Okay. That's which, a little thing that goes around the yeah, pole. That he doesn't have on. Okay. Plus Oh, so the skirt is part of your outfit and it attaches to the boat rather yes. than being part of the boat and attaches to you. Yes. Oh. So you wear like a little tutu. You do. And it you snaps wear, onto the boat. It snaps onto the boat. I didn't know that. And he doesn't have his helmet as well, and then we find out because Dave Taylor, the guy who runs the the canoe shop or the canoe club, says, oh, Jerry would never go out without his meat helmet on. Yes. His hard hat, whatever. Yeah. But we don't know that until then, that he was uptight about yeah. his gear. So these these kids find Jerry. And, and, they're, jo- they're, and George they're... is just like, well, clearly he went kayaking and rolled over and hit his head. That's the end. No. No, clearly George. He's in his business suit. Why, why is George... So inept. He's not yeah, like that. He's not like It's that. like he's intimidated by John, and so he just makes snap decisions. This is what happened. <laughs> Until he's corrected. And yes, the kids find him, and what are they doing when they find him? They're playing poo sticks. Which sounds gross. Yes. But is actually a reference to Winnie the Pooh. Yes, and the A.A. Millen story. Yes. Yeah. So um, I, I find this game very confusing. Okay. Okay, so this is a game... That um, Winnie the Pooh teaches Christopher Robin in the books, yes. where you go to a bridge over a stream or a river, and each of you drop a stick, and then you race to the other side to see whose stick comes out from under the bridge first. Yes. First of all, how can you tell whose stick is which? Well, mine is the one with the Y, and yours is the one without the Y. Okay, but wouldn't that affect how it floats? Okay, this is not F1 racing here. <laughs> just think it would take a kid about 30 seconds to realize if i grab a stick that has no branches off of it it's going to go faster or slower 
We used to do it with. There pops- would be strategies pretty quickly. We used quickly. to do it with popsicle sticks in the schoolyard, and we put our name on them. Well, see, there you go. Yep. You need to have a branded stick. Yeah, and then it a became- personalized poo stick. Then I remember one particular friend, my good friend, spent more time drawing his name and the picture on the stick than he did racing the stick. Well, speaking of pictures, so um, in in the original edition of the book that contained the story of Poo Sticks, yes. um, there's an illustration of Christopher Robin leaning over the top railing of a bridge and little Winnie the Pooh standing next to him. He's so cute in the book illustrations. It's Unlike the cute. cartoon version where he's kind of the same size as Christopher Robin. Yeah, he's he's little, teddy bear size. He's, he's teddy so bear cute. size. Anyway, so he's he's leaning over a lower bar of the Whoa. bridge. And um, that sketch, the sketch of that illustration was sold at Christie's in 2014. They estimated it would sell between 100,000 and 150,000 pounds. Do you want to guess how much it went for? 2.2 million. Not quite. It went for 314,000 pounds. It is one page. Yeah. Pencil sketch. 314,000 pounds. Pooh collectors. I'm sorry. It was sold by Sotheby's, not Christie's. Yeah. And the bridge. Pooh is also very big in uh the asian world yes so but it's i mean the illustration is like classic if you've never actually picked up an aa milne book you still know that image you've yeah, seen sure that image you put poo sticks in your google image search um it's you gonna... get a variety of things i can tell you that <laughs> if you add um winnie or bear it's helpful <laughs> i'm not scarred I was just a little disturbed and clicked the back button very quickly. Um, the bridge that A.A. Milne used to inspire that story was a bridge that was actually very near where he lived. Mm-hmm. And in, in the intervening years, it basically fell apart. Yeah. So in 1979, Christopher Milne, his son, who is Christopher Robin, yeah. um, paid to have the bridge restored. That was and it's it's still there and it's still cool. well taken care of. Another place for us to go to in England. What you may not know, if you think you're familiar with Winnie the Pooh, is that A.A. A. Milne, before writing Winnie the Pooh, wrote one mystery novel called The Red House Mystery. It was in 1922. Okay. So it's a few years before he put out his first collection of poetry for children, which is kind of where Winnie the Pooh started. Um, it is a locked room type of mystery that happens at a country house and it is Awesome. Oh. It's super fun. All the characters are like young whippersnappers. It's almost like, um, uh, almost Hardy Boys like, if the Hardy Boys were in their mid 20s and at a country house. I'll put a link to the Wikipedia page for that. Yep. It's called The Red House Mystery. And there's an audio version of it too. You can listen to it. And it's it's a good audio version on Audible. I wonder why they haven't made that. I don't know. But it's the only one he ever wrote. It's good. Cool. Now you know. So, Mrs. Bingham says something weird to Jones and Barnaby. You're talking about Mary Bingham? Yeah, when right? when they come to visit her. Who, by the way, is played by Felidia Law, who um, was also in Blood Will Out. She played yes. Felicity Dinsdale, and she's Emma Thompson's mom. She is. Um, when Barnaby says he's from Brighton, she says, Mods and Rockers. Mm-hmm. So, because we know that the Binghams were hardcore free love hippies, right yes. in the '60s, and so everything is a reference back to that time. 
for her. And that's what she relates to it. So I did some research into this because I know what mods are and mm-hmm. I know what rockers are. I have seen Quadrophenia. Good job. With Phil Daniels in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's interesting, the story of Brighton Beach and the 1964 May bank holiday. So for our American listeners. A bank holiday is a three-day weekend. Is a, it's a Monday that's off in England. They tend to happen in the summer. There's more than a normal amount of them in the summer. Mm-hmm. And it's really so that you have a three-day holiday every month in the, in the summer. Mm-hmm. So you can go away with your family and have a vacation. and It's good for the economy. Yes. Yeah. So uh, they have them in Canada. They don't have them here. It's still weird to me that you go to, to work on the first Monday in, in August. Well, we have Memorial Day and Labor Day. Yeah, those, those two line up. Yeah. But, but uh, in Canada, you get long weekends for May, June, July, August, and, and September. So. Uh, so the idea was that Brighton was descended upon by these mods and rockers. Now... Mods uh, wore uh, hoodies and drove scooters, mm-hmm. and rockers had leather and rode motorbikes. Okay, so this was the idea that these two the shark groups, it was like the sharks and the jets. Yeah, and this is really <laughs> the Met background story of Quadrophenia. Yeah, well, right. Um, and there were supposed to be these big riots and th- the newspapers were full of how horrible this was. So because these two groups of Utes fought Utes, all yes. the time. Yes. Okay. Now, there was trouble that weekend. Okay? There was. There were a lot of people there. Well, it was Brighton in the summer. It, it it's something that we're going to have to get used to again, seeing crowds, especially yeah. historical crowds. It's I'm weird. like all you people are going to get sick. Yeah. But there, it was really crowded, like more crowded than I've ever seen a beach in my life. Okay. And yes, there were a lot of incidents of pushing and shoving, but no one died. There were no real hospitalization of anybody. And the damage for the whole weekend in the city of Brighton was $550, which is kind of what a normal holiday weekend is. And they call that a riot? They The newspaper is a really great example of media panic, causing especially the older generations to worry about this thing happening somewhere else. Yeah, because those young people are out of control. Yep. Okay, here's my question. If you're a mod or a rocker and you're on the beach yep. having a swim, how can you tell which one they are? Well, they, they're just in their swimsuit. They did throw people of both groups were thrown both in the water from the water's edge and off the docks. Oh, if you got thrown from the pier, that would be unpleasant. It would be. Because they're really high up. And I don't think the water's all that deep there. We just watched a new show in Brighton. It's called... Grace. Grace. Mm-hmm. With uh, John... What's his name? I don't know. He plays the master in Doctor Who. Yes. But it takes place in Brighton. They show the burned out Brighton Pier. Yeah. Wow, we're getting way off topic here. Yes. Let's bring it back. So... Let's talk about Nosy Parker. Okay. All right. Yes. Nosy Parker, that her name's Josie Parker, but yeah. they call her Nosy. Um, she's played by Abigail, Abigail McKern. She was also in Destroying Angel. She played Julia Gooders in Destroying Angel. And she's a Vulcan? Um, no, Abigail McKern seems to come from a different period in history. Yeah. Like, she looks like she's from the 1920s. 
She does. I don't know how she gets her hair to look like that, but she has the Cupid bow mouth. Like she has the face from the 1920s. I don't know how else to describe it. She does. She's uh, so Nosy Parker is very conservative. She's the deputy head of the school. So she wanted the job that Sarah Barnaby gets, and she's not too happy about it. All these outsiders coming in and taking everything over. But she's also the secret bookkeeper of Eddie Stanton, who is the guy breeding the horses and is kind of, you know, got the shady dealings going on. Well, no, she does his legitimate books and then he changes them. Right. She does his legitimate books. But the insinuation is that he's having an affair with somebody. And who is it? Oh, it's Nosy Parker because he's seen going in and out of her house all the time. Because he's taking her receipts and paperwork and stuff so she can keep his books. Yeah. So when John goes to see her, he kind of lets her know that Eddie is allowing people to assume that he's there because they're having an affair. Yes. Now, she's single, never been married. No. But he is married. Yeah. And she says, a person in a position of trust like she is just can't be seen to be having children out of wedlock or sex before marriage. It just would not yep. be acceptable for her, right? What era does she live in? Well, she certainly doesn't live in Midsummer, where a child out of wedlock, the first question is, is it incest related? No? Okay. Well, is then, the vicar the father? Yeah. No? no okay. No. <laughs> oh, then tell us. That's interesting. Is there then. murders involved? No. Did you kill somebody because of it? No. Oh, no, okay. Dark family secrets? No. When she finds out that Eddie has been letting people think that she's his mistress, she says, oh, oh, I suppose I'm compromised now. Yes. Do you know what she means when she says that? Socially compromised? It means her reputation has been besmirched. Besmirched. Okay. So think of every Jane Austen novel you've ever read or seen televised or turned into a movie where in the Regency period, if an unmarried man and a woman who were not over 50... Yes. Were found alone in a room, they may as well have got married. Yeah. Because the assumption is that if nobody's watching you, you must be porking. Immediately. Porking. Immediately. That's what you're doing. A 1982 12-year-old boy called asking for their sex word back. Okay. Bonking, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) the, The assumption is, is that her... Chastity has been compromised. Yes. And she will lose all reputation and be unmarriageable unless he's willing to marry her. Just because they were in a room alone together. Okay? It could be a ballroom and they're 50 feet apart. It doesn't matter. They were unchaperoned. She's compromised. And here's Nosy Parker in the 2000s saying that she is compromised. (gasps) And I think John Barnaby goes out of his way not to link this to his wife. No. He, he, That's why he goes to her house. He doesn't yeah. go to the school. Because yeah. it's not related to the school, no. right? It's something she's doing on the side. But, gosh, what era does she live in? She is, wow. I can't imagine her and Eddie spending a minute together. He would yeah. He he would insult her. He would he shock would make her. make crude jokes With the whole every time. word that came out of his mouth. <laughs> He's not sophisticated. No. <laughs> For her, her sensitive nerves. But I love the scene where John talks to Nosy Parker for the first time in the Barnaby's kitchen. And Sarah's peeling carrots at the counter behind Nosy Parker. But she's not peeling them because, like, 
the carrots peeled and she just keeps going. There's like a pile of yeah. peelings there because she just can't stop because she's listening. And we find out that her aunt is the kind of gossip center, but her aunt's dead now. And But the other person who might be a source of information about what's going on is Jones's grandma. So we this is the problem with Jones. When did Jones move, move from Is he Wales? Welsh or not? And who brought, who came with him? Right. He sa- I think he says, never told. He says earlier that he moved when he was fairly young, right? Yeah. So he did live in Wales as a child, but his gran has lived in Coston long enough to be the center of all information. And he has an uncle there in Wales because he makes mefer- right. reference to So to his whole uncle. family didn't come. Yeah. So we don't know. I read a weird piece of fan fiction about it, though. Oh, that... Okay, so Sarah sent me a piece of fan... Uh, of Midsummer Maniac... Midsummer, uh, Midsummer Murders, Murders fan, fiction. fan fiction. Now, I've read some fan fiction online and realized that it can go south very quickly. Oh, very quickly. Oh, my gosh. There's some on Amazon that's just weird. So, we're not going to judge <laughs> what people do with their Sasquatch is their own business. <laughs> So there's a paragraph left in this. And, and it's, the narrator. It's a, it's a fan fiction piece about this episode, about the end of the episode and what Ben and, and John are thinking. And the narrator, who is John, mm-hmm. is going into Ben's house to tuck him in. He takes Ben home because Ben fell from the balcony at the at the Bingham's place, right? Action Ben. Action yep. Ben in full effect. And he's not hurt, but he's shaken up. So he takes him home and Ben falls asleep on the couch almost immediately. And so John, being the kind person he is, goes upstairs to get a blanket for him. Yes. And then puts the blanket on him. He sees at the side of Jones's bed a picture of he and his grandma. Yep. In a little frame. So we're supposed to believe that Jones, who's a lady magnet, has a picture of his grandma next to his bed. Yeah. That'll kind of turn women He's off. He's not Scott, that's for sure. No. <laughs> Not even Troy in his awkwardness. Like, hey, lady, baby. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that? <laughs> so this this episode has <clears throat> has emotional vomiting, has great weirdness in it. But my favorite line in this episode is, I blew up a squash court once. <laughs> <laughs> well, it well, comes out of nowhere. It has no meaning and no context. And it's just left there and continued. You know, if William Bingham wasn't a killer, you could almost just watch a show with him. The way he talks about the dinner that he and Mary are going to have, and he talks about them as a couple. And then, you know, he's he's building a bomb because he was in the military and they taught them how to make improvised bombs. And yeah, he says, I, I blew up a squash court once. What they should... What he should talk about is the real secret project that he worked on in the military. Because he obviously worked on a secret project in the military, which allowed him to teleport to the canoe club. (laughs) Because he attacks Jerry at the canoe club. We all agree this. It's in the... It's definitely at the canoe club. In the flashback. Yes. This man doesn't want to go out of his house. Maybe it's Mary who really doesn't like to go out and he's a bit more willing to, especially when he's motivated to. Do he have a vehicle? I'm not sure this man can drive. Maybe he just walked through town carrying his rifle. Well, it is midsummer. There goes Charles. He has a rifle, but he's not incesting, so okay. <laughs> well, it's broken over his arm, so it's okay. 
That's the safe way to carry your rifle through town. Make sure it's broken so we know that it's not live. And on this beautiful summer day, because we have confirmed that it's summer, Mm -hmm. uh, because school is not in session. Nobody sees him whack Jerry in full daylight. No one's at the canoe club. (laughs) Nobody's there. Uh, the other thing that we we know William leaves the house because he sets up booby traps outside the house. Yes. Right? So he's got tripwire fireworks, like Roman candles and buckets with tripwires on them. They call it a distress... A distress flare. It's flare. a Roman candle. Yeah. Right? That shoots a little bit higher yeah. than normal. You can buy those babies. So we were talking about how unlikely that was to work. Yeah. Because... You'd have to basically replace it every day because the firework would get wet. Would or, get wet, yeah. with, even just with dew. It would get yeah. wet and it wouldn't light anymore, right? Yeah. You would be, no, you wouldn't be surprised at how many YouTube videos there are about how to create tripwire fireworks. Okay, I'm not doing that search on YouTube. It's okay, I already did. It's, uh, so it's on our collective history. Oh, it's going to break our YouTube. There's this great website called karatemart.com. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have? Brass knuckle stuffed. <laughs> they do, but let me let me read you the description here, okay? Because you can just buy them; you yeah. don't have to make them. This is from this is a dramatic reading. Yes, about tripwire fireworks from KarateMart.com. Okay, ninja aren't the only ones to sneak around, but with ninja tripwire alarms, you can set up a trap to get your foes to reveal their presence. Each box contains 12 alarms, which means there will be 12 people who thought they could sneak up on you before you corrected that. Wow. That is some American paranoia right there. They're 11-inch long strings with like a firecracker kind of thing in the middle so that when you press them, if you put any tension on the string, it makes it go pop. Yeah. And it's 11 inches long. Plenty of length, it says, to wrap around newel posts, door frames, wherever. It's not even a foot long. You can't even tie that in a knot. No. But all you need is a piece of nichrome wire and a 9-volt battery and a couple of clothespins. And you can and make your own. You can make your own. We're not putting that in the show notes. <laughs> no, you can Google it if yep. you want to make one. It looks actually kind of fun. We're not getting them in the house. No, I don't want them inside the house. No. no. Outside, maybe. We're not getting them for the outside of the house. Halloween. No. It'd be fun. Remember the last time we did fireworks, we almost burned down the neighbor's house. <laughs> Can I tell you where Nosy Parker comes from? Where does it come from? Because I never, I had never thought about, like, who is the original Nosy Parker? It, you want to guess? If given a guess, I would say 1920s gangster speak. Nope. It's a reference to Matthew Parker, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury for Elizabeth I. Wow, I could not be more wrong than I was. He was um, kind of the first um, royal private investigator. Do you have a big nose? He did. Okay. But he he ferreted people out who were doing things that might have been perceived as being against Elizabeth. No one expects Nosy Parker. That's right. No one expects Nosy Parker. Um, and uh, the, the term didn't come around during his lifetime or anything. Mm-hmm. But the first time it's used, it's in reference to him. Okay. So from then on, it's Nosy Parker, but it is a reference to mm. Matthew Parker. Okay. Archbishop of Canterbury and nosiest man in history. So Jones saves the day and the Barnabys have a bunch of stuff in their bed. We work at home. Yep. We both have jobs that we work kind of flexible hours. Yep. I sometimes am grading papers until deep into the night. Yep. Let me give you a tip. Never work in bed. Never. Ever. Ever. If you live in one room, 
Work on the floor next to your bed. Never work in bed. Don't work it's in bed. It's just right out. It's like I I did my first undergrad was a was a English undergrad, and I remember as a young boy going, "I'll just read this lying down." No, nothing gets read lying down. But beds beds are not for working. No, they're not. They're Have not a desk, for working. Work on the floor. Make that a non-work place. Yes. So you can sleep. So you're my hurt. last comment is get a desk, woman. <laughs> so I've got two things that I want to cover before we get on to Best Corpse. Okay. Okay. One, Dr. Frost. Yes. So Dr. Frost was the family doctor for the Binghams who would have known the dirt on Robin and Jennifer and what was going on there. And Jones kills him. No. <laughs> But he's awesome. He's like, oh, Dr. Confidentiality, I won't. He lives at the nicest nursing home ever. I'd be happy to move in there right now. Yeah, he's like a Batman villain, too. Yeah, out with his little blanket and his yeah. little German coat on. Yeah. Um, it looks like the kind of coat that you would wear with Lederhosen. Yes, That's what it, it looks like. Um, but he's like, I, I, I won't tell you anything. I will proffer nothing, but I will, I will contemplate your speculation. Yes. So it's like, I'm not going to say anything, but when Jones guesses he just looks at him and like kind of nods with his eyebrows it, it's and like, then he goes inside and dies yeah and then isn't covered up and barnaby has a conversation with him i'm like is this broken wood because yeah but what is up with not covering corpses you cover somebody you put you put a sheet over their head he's already in bed all you gotta do is pull it up when they take mary out of the house on the stretcher she's dead not covered. They cover her only to her shoulders. Yep. Like, oh, well, her head's not dead, so we don't need to cover that part up. Yes, <laughs> all of her is dead. Cover all of dead, it. Dead, dead, dead. Dead, 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 The other thing I want to tell you about is um, the moon craters, okay? So the way they figure out that um, Maggie is actually Jennifer yes. is because Mary has lunar coordinates written on a bookmark. Yeah. That they just accidentally find. Why she would do that, I don't know. Don't know. I guess because she's putting things together. Maybe. And we don't we don't know what their professional interests were before they, they went do Lally, right? No. Who knows? So they look up these these lunar coordinates and they find that there is a crater on the moon named Bingham, and it is very near another crater named Viviani, which is the name that Maggie Jennifer has adopted. Well, she's Italian. We saw that in In Lovejoy. Lovejoy. The hey, worst. I love the joy. I am Italian. <laughs> the worst Italian accent. She does a, a Luigi Italian accent. Yeah. Hey, it's me, Mario. I'm I hate love the Christmas. Joy. Yes. <laughs> there is that too. Anyway, if you haven't heard that episode of Midsummer Maniacs, go back and listen to it. The Christmas episode. Yeah, yep. yeah. Ghost of Christmas Past. Yes. Okay, so I wanted to know how these moon craters get their names. Yes. Because there's a there are 1,629 named craters on the moon. And they say that this one is named Bingham. After Hiram J. Hiram Bingham. J. Bingham, who's a real dude. Yes. Who was a Mormon who was in Central America. He was a Mormon explorer in Central America. Searching for Mormon past Artifacts. Relics. And he found Machu Picchu instead. Yes, yeah. accidentally. Um, so I wanted to know, like, how do they get named? And I'm always curious about that because, you know, the moon doesn't belong to one country, right? Or even one culture. So how do they decide what the craters should be called? Yep. 
because they do have definitive names. Yes. It's not like, like there are stars in the sky that have one definitive name that is a combination of numbers and letters yes. that is like the classification for it. So that for someone it. in China and Russia and America can all refer to the right. same thing. But it may have a different like name in Localized each. Localized name. Yeah. Yep. But craters aren't like that because of a group called the IAUWGPSN. Mm. Are you ready for this? Yes. The Gazetteer of Planetary Nomenclature, International Astronomical Union Working Group for Planetary System Nomenclature. Do they do all the planets too? Yes. Okay. So all the craters on Mars, yeah. everywhere. So if you go to planetarynames.wr.usgs.gov, yes. it is a U.S. government site. Okay. <clears throat> only because we volunteered to be the keeper of the Gazetteer. Okay. But these names come from all over the world. Yes. They're not just European or American names. They, yep. they represent people from everywhere. Um, but yeah, it's the working group for planetary system nomenclature that decides. Definitely. And what's really fascinating is you can search on there by criteria for features of the moon and other planets if you want to. But in the moon, one of the criteria you can filter by is whether the name has been accepted or not, or whether it has been considered and rejected Ooh. it's very interesting to see the ones that have re rejected they're all named for famous people mathematicians of anxiety geologists <laughs> you know scientists of all kinds you know from everywhere um but i suspect and if you look and you filter by this by the rejected names i suspect that it was because these people had silly names crater mccrater face but you know, if you're born Crater McCrater face and you just happen to win a Nobel Prize for, for physics or astronomy or something, yep. you should still get a crater named Crater McCrater face. You can't help that that's your name. Yep. But apparently the working group for planetary system nomenclature says, mm -mm, no, you have a silly name. No. It doesn't matter what you accomplished. No you can't have crater a crater McCrater face. No. <laughs> can't have it. <laughs> I've got stuff about eccentric aristocrats, but we'll leave that for another day. Oh, yes. <laughs> Best corpse. Though there was a guy who... <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to tell you. There was a... <laughs> the Earl of Clincarty in 1975, same time period as this episode. Yeah. When he inherited his title and became a member of the House of Lords, his only goal was to get UFOs acknowledged by the House of Lords okay. and to prove the hollow earth theory. Nice. Okay. <laughs> so these two with their stacks of newspaper, they don't even have anything on no. the real world aristocrats who and their oh, weirdness. Yeah. yeah. Best corpse. We have Jerry. Yep. Mary, and I think we should include Dr. Frost. I think so. Even too. though he's not murdered. That he does we know a good of. dead body. He does. He does. But he looks kind of waxy and dead when he's alive, too. <laughs> so Again, he's a Batman villain. It's not a far reach. Yeah. So who did the best job? Jerry, Mary, or Dr. Frost? I'd say Dr. Frost. Me too. Mostly because he has to lay there all cockamamie in bed. And not laugh. While John just sits there and reads his diaries like yep. he's not there. <laughs> I mean, Mary does a good job of laying on the floor covered by newspapers. Yeah, but we don't see her face. No. And I don't think it's really the actor who played Jerry floating face down. No, I'm sure that was a stunt guy a stunt or a dummy. Guy. So yep. I'm giving it to Dr. Frost. That is the first time... 
that we have chosen a corpse that isn't a murder victim as the best corpse. Oh, cool. Okay, after the credits. Okay. Awkward family holidays. Yes. That's number one. So Selena and Eddie are still married. I don't think he's going to win the election with his material. No. But they own the big house now. Well, only if the trust dictates that William going to jail means that he has to give over the trust, if that's the equivalent of him dying. Otherwise, they don't get anything until he does. Yeah. And who knows? He could go to prison and get really good medical care and live for a long time. I don't think Maggie moves back to the house or is... I think I think Maggie stays right where she is. She acknowledges family, but yeah. her and Adam are happy. Yeah. She's not going to change her name. Well, you know why they're happy? Because he rescued her from the other side of the river. Yeah. <laughs> where you can clearly see the first side of the river. But it is a mysterious country where you can just reinvent yourself and no one on the other side of the river will ever know about you. They also do or recognize facial you. reconstruction surgery at that art co-op. Or see you at the store. Yeah. <laughs> Never on the other side of the river. Nope. Ben is in a spot. Ben is going to have to have some therapy. Yes. Like the kind of therapy you use to not uncover repressed memories, but to repress memories. Yes. So that he can pretend that nothing ever happened with, with Serena. I don't know if therapy is that strong, man. Well, maybe he and Verity just move away. Do you think Verity could stay with him knowing? It's not his fault. He didn't know. And she forced him. I, I and know. And she hates Selena anyway. It's not something like she'd be surprised that she did that. Yeah. Serena, sorry. I know all of that, but it would still be tough, I would think. Oh, I don't know. I th- I think she really likes him. And I think. No, it is Selena. Sorry. Um, I think she can get over it. Josie Parker should appear in other episodes, but doesn't. She should be an interesting character. Jane Morris should appear in other episodes, but doesn't. No. Edward Fox, who plays William Bingham, claims he's never worn jeans. Yes. The actor Edward Fox yep. claims he's claims never he's worn jeans. never worn jeans. Yeah. And Nick Brimble, who plays Adam Grace, who runs the art collective with Maggie... Um, he played Frankenstein's monster in Roger Corman's Frankenstein Unbound. Uh, and he's also in Father Brown. Yes, he is. Yes. The no, last... no, no. He's in Grantchester. He's the yes, vicar's he's housekeeper's boyfriend. That's right. He's the vicar's housekeeper's boyfriend. I always boyfriend. get them confused, too. Not the vicar's housekeeper's boyfriend in Father Brown. <laughs> That's the priest's housekeeper's boyfriend. We watch too many shows. (laughs) You too can watch too many shows. Use our discount code and get 30 free days of Acorn. Also, you can find Midsummer Maniacs (laughs) on Twitter, Instagram, and email. And post to the Facebook groups for Midsummer and Acorn. There's quite the discussion about Betty and where she was this week. Yeah. Uh, Subreddit. uh, You can find us there. Remember, if you listen to us on YouTube, to like and subscribe and hit the bell. It helps us eventually. Well, it helps us keep track of where people are listening. Yep. Um, And I I do have to say, we we do, as a podcast, have one claim to fame. We think we may have a distinct demographic on YouTube that no other YouTube channel has. Our largest listenership demographic on YouTube is over 65-year-old women. And no, I don't think any other podcast can claim that. No. 
No. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Keep listening. Absolutely. We love Next you. episode is 84, which is season 14, episode three, mm-hmm. which is the Bride in the Bathtub episode. Yep. It's great. Yep. Oh, until then. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. The first thing I would suggest you do, suggest, 